like a statue becomes part of the machine. Feeling all the bumpers, always plays clean. Plays by intuition, the digit counters fall. Welcome to another episode of the Fundamentals Podcast. I'm your host, Harley. Joining me on this episode, I have MJ Smith from the Let's Jaws for a Minute and That Real Perspective podcasts. Boy, oh boy, was this a great discussion. I think you guys are going to love this episode. It's absolutely fantastic. MJ talks to me all about pinball machines. I didn't realise that there is so much that goes into these things. It's a real eye-opener, this discussion. There's some crazy stories, amazing designs, underground pinball tournaments, Slash Designs one. We get into all sorts of crazy stuff, I know. So without further ado, I'm going to get straight into the conversation. But before I do, just a small tinsy-wincy technical thing I need to talk to you about. This was an issue with my audio. I don't quite know why. There was this horrible hissing sound that I had to throw a load of filters on just to try and get it to sound good. Hence, my mind's quite quiet and not as good at certain points. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter because this is really MJ's episode. It's him doing the most of the talking, as it rightly should be. So his is fine. Mine's a little weak, but that's just so you guys know. Anyway. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. This is Pinball Machines with MJ Smith. Hello, MJ, and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. Hi, Harley. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure, my friend. So uh, when I reached out to you for ideas on what we can talk about, you fired back almost immediately with Pinball Machines. Now, I am somebody who has probably touched one maybe two or three times in my entire lifetime, so I know next to nothing about them. So why pinball machines? Um, so I have kind of a weird, long... Pinball's kind of always been there, I think, and I have just realized it as an adult. Um, so growing up, I uh, my dad worked at a bowling alley my entire life, basically. Um, he was a bartender at a bowling alley, and... Some nights I would just go hang out and he would always, you know, give me money for the arcade at the bowling alley out of his tip jar at the bar. And they had this uh, pinball machine there called Theater of Magic. And it is this wonderful, I also grew up, so it's this is the perfect storm. I grew up with an uncle who did um, sleight of hand and magic tricks and was a member of um, a magician society here in California called the Magic Castle. Um, it's like a world famous like society of magicians. Um, and you can only get in if you're a member. So you can only get in if you either know someone or you're a magician yourself. So I grew up with my uncle Dennis with that influence. And then just the arcade games that I would see around the, the bowling alley. I always was captivated by theater of magic because I was like, oh, uh, you know, my uncle Dennis does, does magic and had this really cool 
um, mechanism <clears throat> that was kind of a, a trunk in the center of the, the it's called a play field. So in the center of the play field, it was just this, it, it just looked like a normal trunk, but if you hit it three times, it would spin around and there was a hole in the back of the trunk and you would shoot the ball into the hole. And then if you hit it more times, it would, um, it would lock balls for multi-ball. So if you lock two balls in the hole, it spins around to a fourth face and that fourth face is a magnet. So when you hit it, it actually levitates the ball in the center of the, um, of the trunk. And it was such a cool mechanism to me. It always looked literally like magic. Hmm. Um, and so that has always stuck with me. Um, and so I just have a, had a lot of really fond memories of playing theater of magic at the bowling alley. And then I remember it was one of the first things that um, my parents were like, you're weirdly good at this. Like it was, <laughs> right. I, like I was not that old and I would put up, you know, scores in the millions of points on kind of almost any machine I was touching. And they were like, wow, do you know what you're doing? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> um, so, you know, after that, um, kind of arcades and pinball and, you know, arcade machines fell out of style and it went more to PC and console gaming. Um, and so pinball machines were harder to come by. So it kind of became this novelty anytime I could come across one or anytime I, um, I would find one in the wild. It felt like finding a treasure to me where it was like, oh, I remember, you know, the, these nights at the bowling alley. And then... I went to Las Vegas uh, four years ago, no, three years ago, and Las Vegas, Nevada has this place called the Pinball Hall of Fame, and they have machines from every era of pinball. They have all the newest machines, which we'll get to in a second, but they have, they have machines that are, they have the second ever pinball machine to have flippers on it there, oh. and yeah, they have a lot of rare, rare machines, so they have one machine called Pinball Circus, there are only two pinball circus machines in the world. They only built two prototypes and it never went into production. And one of them's in the private collection and the other one is at, a, at the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas and it's the only place you can play it in public. Wow. Um, so as we were preparing, I had always heard of the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. Um, like, I think I saw it on a, like a travel channel um, special and that always captivated me because I love pinball. And so as we were getting ready to go, I was like, I'm an adult now. I should probably figure out how these things work. So I just kind of went down the rabbit hole on YouTube and I found this guy, shout out to Bowen Karens at the Papa Pinball Association. Um, he does tutorials on YouTube of different machines and he goes over the different rules and the different strategies to get high scores on the machines. And I fell in love with that. I love anything that's a challenge between kind of you and yourself um i love i love that aspect of it so uh once i saw that and then i saw that they would stream tournaments on youtube i got really into it and that was kind of so it was about three years ago that i got really serious about it and then when i saw kind of the new innovations that they're they're doing to kind of update pinball to the modern world and and this blending of technology and the mechanical nature of pinball it really captivated me so that's kind of like my pinball batman origin story <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Batman origin is kind of appropriate because you know it's childhood, I suppose, and it doesn't sound traumatic. It sounds kind of happy, at least. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's incredible, man. Um, I don't even know where to begin with half of that stuff. You just <laughs> yeah. I was just listening. It's like so much information. 
But um, no, I love it. And that's something I've been vaguely aware of, actually, coming back to what you just said a minute ago, that it does seem to be this kind of um, group out there that see these as collective items. Like, this is something I'm vaguely aware of through um, uh, what two of my favorite guitar players, this means managing to slip music into every podcast episode, um, both Slash and March Monty have both big collectors of pinball machines. So yes. I, I, that's something I'm vaguely aware of, of, like, there is this there does seem to be this culture out there in the States of this fascination with, with collecting these kind of things. And I, am I right in thinking it's because there's a lot of history and there's these different designs, like what you described to me at the beginning, I really want to see that in action because that sounds incredible with all these different yeah. mechanical moving parts. So is, is that part of it, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, Jack White is also a big uh, pinball collector too. Yes. Uh, yeah. So there's, uh, and we'll get to Slash in a minute. Slash just co-designed a Guns N' Roses pinball machine that came out this week, like a couple days ago. It nice. just released. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, so I think there's there's uh, Jack Black's also Jack Black and Jack White also collect. They collect the machines from this one specific designer, a guy named Pat Lawler. Okay. Pat Lawler, they talk about it on one video that Jack Black uh, did on his YouTube channel. Um, and so Pat Lawler is, is, he innovated a lot. He added, um, his signature thing is when you have the flipper set up, you have, you know, it's called the in-lane and the out-lane. The in-lane brings the ball back to the flipper, the out-lane brings it down the drain, right? Right. So Pat Lawler's big innovation in pinball is he added a second out-lane on the left-hand side. That's his signature thing is, there's two out lanes and one in lane on the left-hand side. And it just changed the geometry of the games enough that they still feel, they still play like super challenging, but really rewarding nowadays. But there's this design philosophy and I don't know which designer is the one who came up with it. Um, there's this design philosophy in pinball called a world under glass. And so the idea is that the game exists under the, the, the glass of the pinball machine. And so, anything you put in there, you have to be able to make it feel like you're playing through a story or feel like you're immersed in this game, that it is you in this literal world under the glass. And so I think that's the, 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 the machines that have stayed the test of time, like Theater of Magic, um, are the ones that do that because they have these cool mechanics and they have these really neat, innovative things. Um, so yeah, I think that design element is definitely something um, <clears throat> that musicians tend to uh, uh, latch onto is they see it as a very creative and, <coughs> excuse me, uh, improvisational thing, I think. Um, if you listen to Jack White talk about um, Pat Lawler with Jack Black, it's just a couple of seconds of footage, but you can tell that he looks at Pat Lawler's designs. And Jack White uh, also, you know, an upholsterer, he has an eye for interior design. So he approaches it from the design aspect. He says, you know, I love design just in general and what pat lawler does on a pinball machine is akin to the great architect wow wow that's uh yeah that, that's incredible and i thank you for the insight there and i was just thinking about what you said that does make a lot of sense because i'm guessing there has to be a certain amount of intelligent design because as you said earlier the whole point is just you know scoring points so i'm imagining with all of the different moving parts it must take a lot of thought and effort going into it it's not just sort of random bits and pieces it's you've got to think about you mentioned geometry for example you know you've got to strike a ball a certain way am i right in thinking then that some of the best designers like this pat lala you mentioned 
must, I guess, must be incredibly smart guys then to sit and work out. They know exactly if, if you play it right, you can. it's possible to get these kinds of scores or you can get into these secret passageways they build in. Is that is that right? Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a lot of like engineering and I think architecture that right. goes into it. I think a lot of these guys have backgrounds in engineering. Mm. Um, and then certain ones, I'm not sure. There's there's a guy named Keith Elwin who he has released. He's really new as a designer, but he's he was the number one pinball player in the world for a couple years, and that was kind of his way in. And so he started working for this company called Stern, and they're the biggest manufacturer right now, Stern Pinball. Um, and Stern was kind of in a bad way. They were the only pinball company that survived from like 2003 to 2010. Um, and they were, so they were, they had a monopoly just because everywhere else went out of business. And by default, they were putting out the best machines, but they were also putting out really bad, not well received <laughs> machines, but people were kind of like, oh, it's pinball. It's new pinball. Like we can't complain right. too much. We'll take it where we can get it. Yeah. And then as competitors started to arise, um, there's this one company, Jersey Jack in particular. Um, they're the ones who just did the Guns N' Roses machine and they are the Ferrari of pinball. Their machines are top of the line, packed to the gills with mechanics. And this, uh, uh, this Guns N' Roses machine they just came out with is insane. But so they, they came out with a Wizard of Oz machine, and it really it was the first machine that had an LCD back, back screen. So most, most machines until that point had a dot matrix, the little orange dots. So Jersey Jack said, we're going to put an LCD screen. We're going to put an actual PC monitor in the back of this pinball machine. And so that came out, and everyone immediately was like, Stern, why haven't you done this yet? You know, Stern was still designing dot matrix machines. And it took them until 2012 to release their first LCD machine. So Jersey Jack came on the scene and immediately sparked this competition that Stern hadn't had to deal with in a long time. So Stern had to really adapt to this new school of pinball. So they brought in Keith Elwin. And he's three machines in, and every single machine has been incredibly well-received. And Ooh. it's because he approaches it from the design of a player. He approaches it by saying, what do I want to see? What haven't I seen before? What are What is a set of rules that I would like to see? What are some shots that I would like to see? So he just came out last month with um, Avengers Infinity Quest, which is an Avengers Infinity War themed machine. Most, most machines now are, are themed after intellectual property because that's how you kind of recoup money. You can't really do a lot of original themes. Sure. Um, and pinball like Theater of Magic anymore. And so okay. he decided, so... Keith Owen loves multi-flipper games, so there's the two normal flippers, and then he usually puts a third flipper somewhere in the upper part of the, the machine. And he said, what if there's a ramp that we have that can you can hit it from any flipper from any angle? He said, what is what is that what what would that look like? And so he's got this this flipper that is associated with the the Thanos' glove that has the infinity gems in it. And it's this huge ramp. It looks like a boat. And it's just, it's so bowed out and chonky. And it looks really stupid, kind of. But it's really neat because you can hit it from any of the three flippers. And there's not a shot like that. Like, you can strategically hit it from any of the three flippers. Sometimes you'll get lucky with ball physics and it'll go somewhere where it's not, like, designed to go. This was designed to be hit from every single flipper and every single angle on the game, no matter where the ball is. And... 
he just did that as a player. I don't think he has like the, the, the mechanical engineering background that say Pat Waller or uh, another big name, Steve Ritchie have. He's, he approaches it with this eye of like, what do I want to see if I'm playing in a tournament? Yeah. So I just, um, just as you said that, I thought I have to Google this. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm just looking at the Infinity Quest one and wow. I mean, the design here is incredible. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I, again, my experience is, as I say, very limited. I can vaguely remember maybe a, you know, a couple of them that were quite simple. Nothing compared to this. I'm looking, you see, and I encourage listeners at home to definitely Google some of this stuff. You can see all these different ramps going on. You've got these almost like loop-de-loops going on here. Yeah, it has a mesh. vertical ramp. Um, it's incredible. It, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's got a ramp that goes straight up and horseshoes around. Uh, it's yeah. the Captain Marvel ramp. It's crazy. That's brilliant. So, I mean, I'm just trying to think where to begin. And, and I, don't think, I don't think these are like horrendously priced either. I'm not oh, buying are. one. But they're, well, I don't know. They're super expensive. <laughs> Do you think so? I was going to say, what, what's kind of a reasonable rate? Because I'm looking at them for people at home. About six and a half grand seems to be the... I mean, I, I think that is pricey, but then I'm looking at the design and I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. A lot of effort's gone into this, but what, what's yeah. kind of the average rate then, would you say? for Six and a half. So there's... Most pinball machines come in three models. Now they come in... <clears throat> they call them standard, premium, and limited edition. And so right. the standard is going to be your baseline model. That runs about six to eight grand, depending on the manufacturer and depending on the IP. Okay. Um, the premium is basically a souped-up version of the standard. So the premium version of Avengers Infinity Quest, for example... That's the only one that has the vertical Captain Marvel ramp, um, okay. or the premium, the premium and the limited edition LE version. Um, those are the only two you're gonna get uh, uh, the the vertical ramp on. Um, the other thing on the premium and LE is there's uh, there's this disc in the kind of upper left hand part of the playfield that's based off of Doctor Strange's sling ring, um, and so it's got a motor on it. The disc comes standard on all three models. Um, and it's got a sensor on it that can detect which way it's spinning, clockwise or counterclockwise, which is super cool. Um, but in the premium and LE versions, if you spin it enough times to spell the word strange, the disc lifts up out of the play field and reveals an underground subway that you can hit the ball into. <laughs> and they've made, they've made that portion of the play field clear so it looks like you're traveling through portals. Like it looks like the ball is traveling through Doctor Strange style portals oh to get to goodness. the other side of the play field and it comes out a hole on the right-hand side of the play field. See, now I want um, one. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> that sounds incredible. Yeah, and so the, the premiums go from like eight to nine grand and then the LEs go from 10 to 12 grand, depending. Right. And so the LEs, they usually make only 500 of them. They're signed by someone involved with the IP and they're signed by the designer. And you get all these bells and whistles. You get a shaker motor so that stuff happens and it shakes the game. Um, you get, you know, usually an increased sound system. And um, a bit, the art is different on all three versions. So okay. the art on the premium of um, Infinity Quest is amazing. It's this, like, Thanos sitting on this throne of skulls looking super menacing. And so you just, like, you're like, oh, I want to beat that guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that's kind of the standard pricing model across everyone is is standard premium LE. Right. I take it back. It, it is pricey, but <laughs> it kind of explains then why it's sort of rock stars and, and perhaps people in that 
kind of area yeah. that are spending that kind of money on it. But but still, um, I think that's really cool. And it sounds like it's something that even though they are pricey, in some ways they're still accessible. Like you mentioned, they've, they've got that Hall of Fame then in, um, sorry, where was it again? It was Las Vegas, you said. Yes, Las yeah, Vegas. Sorry. Yeah. So am I right in thinking there's probably conventions then for pinball machines or things like that? Do you have anything that sort of travels for people? Yeah, there's um, there's a couple. Um, it's mostly regional just because it's hard to um, it's hard to move pinball machines. They're yeah, big and, and uh, heavy. <laughs> They're so heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you can uh, you can you can usually find. So here where I am, I'm I'm in California, and we have this tournament every year. There's one in Southern California and one in Northern California. Um, there's the one in, in Southern California is actually a qualifying tournament for national championships. So it's called um, the, the acronym we say INDISC, but it stands for it never drains in Southern California instead of it never rains in Southern California. Nice. Um, and so INDISC happens at uh, this place that's this massive, uh, uh, it's Banning, California. Oh, let me find the name. People are going to be mad if they hear this. I was going to say, yeah, this is. This is when the yelling starts. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's let's go to Google here. That's all right. I've uh, I've yet to have anyone actually message me about something um, <clears throat> that was incorrect. <laughs> yeah, the Museum of Pinball in uh, Banning, California, is where Indisc takes place, and it's just nice. it's a static place, but they only open a few times a year. Um, and so one of them is for Arcade Expo, one of them is for Indisc, and then one of them is for uh, a Halloween, like in October. Uh, they do like a Halloween themed weekend there. And so it's basically conventions. And that way people have to travel to it instead of them having to take their machines um, somewhere. The other one is, I don't remember the name of the tournament. I'm not going to look it up, but it's, it's in Northern California. It takes place in Lodi, California, made famous by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Uh, and uh, that one is more people take their machines and they just have, you know, a convention there. There's also the Texas Pinball Fest, which has become kind of the the Comic-Con of, of pinball. So that's where a lot of new games get revealed is in Texas. There's a lot of pinball in Texas. Texas and Chicago okay. are the two, the two big hubs. Um, and then New Jersey now that Jersey Jack is on, on the table. But a lot of reveals happen at Texas Pinball Festival. Um, and then the national championships happen at a place called Replay FX that usually, I think it happens in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's more popular in the middle of the country than any of the coasts. Um, and I'm not sure why that is, uh, but it's, it's a very sort of Midwest thing here. Hmm. Interesting. And how do you find the community then within all those um, sort of contests and, and conventions? There's uh, there's a couple websites. So pinside.com is sort of a forum for anyone looking to join pinball. Um, it's kind of uh, enter at your own risk as far as uh, some of the some of the some of the some of the culture can be a little weird. Um, but for the most part, everyone's nice. I've never run into. There's some you know, I think any forum is gonna just have people who are crappy. Um, but they tend to, they tend to be the loudest on Pinside. Um, yeah. but there are some, there's some good information on there. Um, hmm. there's always good, uh, good links and stuff, um, there. And then if you want to find a pinball near you, 
pinballmap.com is invaluable. Anytime I go to a new city, the first thing I do, pinballmap.com. My wife and I are looking at at moving and she wants to, she wants to go get her master's degree. And so she was telling me the schools. And the first thing I did was look up where I could play pinball in all the places (laughs) she said, I was like, there were, there were, there were a couple spaces she said, and I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I could do it there. And so I pulled up pinball. There's only a couple, you know, you got to have something to do while she's doing her degree. That's yeah, understandable. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so smaller scale, I, I do play competitively, but I don't, I rank technically because if you enter a tournament, you, um, you get, uh, you get an, it's an international flim, ah, international flipper pinball players association, IFPPA, you get assigned a number anytime you sign up for a tournament. So I don't play in any of the national qualifying tournaments. I'm not good enough to, to do that yet. Um, but I play in launch parties, so whenever a new machine comes out, there's a uh, <laughs> there's a Korean barbecue place in Van Nuys, California, which is it's technically LA, but it is not a part of Los Angeles that people would be familiar with or be excited to go to at okay. all. It's 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 a suburb uh, in sort of the northwest of LA, and uh, it's it's a lot of car dealerships, is what someone said on Twitch last night, who I was watching. Uh, that it's it's a lot of car dealerships but there's this korean barbecue place and in the back of the korean barbecue place is this little bar and it's called on tilt and that is it's a pinball bar in the back of this korean barbecue place and they are one of the hot the hottest spots in california for pinball um and every time a new machine uh comes out they do a launch party tournament there so i go and play in all the launch parties when we're allowed to have the yeah. tournaments obviously mm-hmm. um so that's that's the extent of my competitive play there's not really a scene where i'm at um i'm just 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 far away enough from los angeles to where playing in a pinball league would be annoying i'm about two hours away um okay. so going every week to a league does not justify a four-hour round trip <laughs> um and there's there's not a lot of places to play around here at all um we had one tattoo shop that had a bunch of machines it was called arcade tattoo and i actually vic if you're listening i'll link you to this uh shout out vic he did my jaws tattoo on my arm uh oh wow uh, yeah so it's hard to get an angle on it yeah uh, yeah oh i like uh, it cool yep so uh yeah i i got involved with him because i found out that they had pinball and he had a bunch of machines he had a t- he had probably i don't know 10, 15 machines in his, in his tattoo shop. So I would just go hang out and play with, <laughs> play with him when he was, when he was, uh, you know, not tattooing. Nice. Um, so yeah, there's here, here where I'm at, it's more private collections, which, you know, are run out of people's houses or businesses or whatever that aren't necessarily arcades. So they're not doing tournaments or leagues or anything. So that's kind of, that's kind of a bummer, but um, yeah, I'd love to compete more. Mm. It sounds like from what you said really at the start of, of this that you know that there is also an element of competing against yourself which can be i guess quite fun i know it's not the same as competing with people naturally but right. i can still offer you something if like yourself you know you, you haven't got perhaps got access to, to the leagues yeah there's definitely this sense of of competing with yourself so one of the places the one of the big public places we could play is a a, a place called the boulevard it's just like a, it's like a family entertainment center like uh 
um, I don't know. It's not quite a Chuck E. Cheese because it's not squarely directed at kids. They serve alcohol and they're twenty one. <laughs> they're twenty one and over after nine p.m. So they're more like okay. a, I guess like a like a Dave and Buster's. I don't know if you guys have that. This is all going over my head, but uh, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> Dave and Buster's is sort of a. It's just like an arcade that has you know normal family entertainment center attractions, but after nine p.m. they become twenty one and over. Okay. Um, so you still go in and you can play all the games and stuff, but there are like a ton of kids running around. Um, and so there's this place here called the Boulevard. We're like a that's locally owned and operated, so it's not a national franchise or anything. But they have the Guardians of the Galaxy machine, and they have the Star Wars pinball machine that came out uh, 2015, I think. And <laughs> one time they. I had, I had gotten the, so the way pinball high scores work is there's the grand champion and then there's one, two, three, four, five. So those are the, those are the scores that end up. So sometimes up to 10. So, but grand champion is above number one. And so one time I went and they had reset all the scores on the, on the guardians of the galaxy machine, except for the grand champion. And so the grand champion was a ridiculous amount of points for that game because each game has its a different scoring model. And uh, I think that the way this person got the, the grand champion score, you can't do on that machine anymore because they will, the, the companies now will push out software updates that kind of, once they find out that there's a strategy that's being exploited by everyone, they'll kind of code it out and then push an update to the machine Ooh, uh, so okay. so that so that you have to adjust your strategy so i think he used an old strat on an old code um and so he i don't think it's possible to get that many points without like a 50 minute game on there now and so i it's one of those things where it's kind of set in stone i was like uh oh, that's that's pretty locked away but i was like i am not leaving until i am scores one through five on here <laughs> so i just set every high score on the game <laughs> oh man that's given me flashbacks to um, a different game, but when we were holidaying in France years and years ago at a different campsite, my dad's ridiculously good at driving games. Okay. He's, he's just one of the best drivers I've ever known anyway, but like he's ridiculously good on these games, and they have one of these old like 90s Sega Rally type games, mm-hmm. and he did exactly that. Like He went on, <laughs> and it was scores 1 through 20, and it was like, <laughs> yeah. he got the top speed, and every other score was like a second you know, just like a fraction of a second behind. And that was his, we were only there for a week, but he was like, I'm going to get every score. I'm going to leave it here. And I still wonder sometimes to this day, I'm like, I go back. Is it still going to be on there? <laughs> is it still yeah, going to be the case? that's super so funny. I totally get where you're coming from there. It has to be done. If you can do it, it yeah. has to be done. But that's really interesting then. So they, they can sometimes monitor the, the software and the scores. So is that quite common practice then amongst pinball? It is now. Um, so as stuff has evolved with um, the LCDs and, and things like that, um, more and more games. I don't think there's quite a game that's internet connected yet, although there is one company working on it, Multimorphic Pinball. They are working on a racing pinball game. And the idea would be if you have a machine and I have a machine, we could play together over the internet in a race. That's cool. Yeah. So I don't know how far along they are on that. I saw a prototype get played, but it was just still all four people in one room. Um, And so I don't know about always connected to the internet. Um, There's another company that's just starting called Deep Root Pinball, and they're 
whole thing is that they're going to track. I don't know how they're planning on doing this without the internet. I don't know how the heck they're going to do this without the internet. But the idea is when you go up to a deep root machine, you have an app on your phone where you've created an account through deep root and your phone will sync with the machine and tell you your all time kind of gamer, gamer score, like an Xbox does. Um, and you'll be able to compete not just with the high scores on that individual machine, but the all-time high scores tracked by the DeepRoot Pinball app. Yeah, they're doing DeepRoot just, they just came out with a big info dump about DeepRoot Pinball and it's, they're, they're really pushing the machine forward um, more so than any other company. They have a lot on their plate and uh, it'll be interesting to see what their final product ends up looking like but they're really doing, they're, they have a shot counter. So anytime you step up to a deep root machine and you hit start, it counts every single time you hit the flippers. And it'll tell you if you, it'll tell you how many flips you did at the end of your game. So the idea would be if you go and beat the game, it'll tell you how many flips you did it in. And so to me, that unlocks the potential for speedrunning pinball, which is insane to me. And so the idea is, what is the minimum amount of shots that I need to take in order to work my way through the entirety of this game? Wow, okay. It's like another layer of competition, really, then. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see, because there, obviously there's going to be like a perfect game, right? There's a set minimum number of shots that it's going to require to beat the game. Um, but I don't, I don't know if anyone will ever have a truly perfect game on it. Like you would have to be a machine, I think. So, you know, I think we just figure it out through algorithms and stuff like that of like what the actual baseline minimum number would be. But it would be amazing to see an actual game of that go down versus something a computer figured out. That's really cool. So, I mean, that kind of sounds like a natural kind of evolution and of, of progress for that kind of thing. If there is a community and like a sense of camaraderie and competition it makes sense to use technology and try and integrate it in some way like that that'd, that'd be really interesting to see if that ever takes off but um it just got me thinking a question I, I should really ask straight away is um how does one get high scores on pinballing because again i'm someone who doesn't know an awful lot so I'm, am i right yeah. in thinking there's certain points you gotta hit in order to get points yeah so a lot of people step up to uh, pinball as much as I love it, it requires a lot of legwork to really get to love it. Um, and that's one of the downsides. But it's also one of the exciting things if you dedicate yourself to it, right? So a pinball machine is always telling you what's going on, but it's kind of in another language. And so um, if you look at the play field and there are flashing lights, you want to hit those shots. Most pinball machines are set up nowadays through um, modes. Think of modes as levels. So, for example, we'll take the Guardians of the Galaxy machine because I think it's one of the easiest ones to explain and it's still kind of weird. Um, so each mode is associated with a different character. And then each shot on the playfield, so each different ramp and uh, like scoop or, or hole that you shoot the ball into is associated with one of the characters that's associated with the mode. So you select a mode, let's say we'll take the Star-Lord mode. If you take Star-Lord, then uh, a bunch of different shots light up on the play field. And there's one shot that's dedicated to Star-Lord. That is always going to be lit the entire mode. So every time you hit 
the, and the, there's a certain number of shots you have to complete in order to complete the Star-Lord mode. So every time you hit the Star-Lord hole, that counts as one of the shots. But that's not the only shot lit up. So there are two or three other shots depending on the mode and depending on, and they get harder as the game progresses. So it gets harder to um, get into the mode. It gets harder to, it just takes more shots the deeper into the game you are. So um, Star-Lord actually has a lot of shots associated with it. So it's not recommended to start. So that's the other thing is you have to decide, okay, what are the good modes to start with? Do I want to start with modes that are easier to complete that have less shots that are going to be maybe less points overall if i drain all three balls right um they're going to be less points but it'll get me closer to the end of the game so you can kind of approach it of do i want to see the quote-unquote end of the game which is called a wizard mode um, once you complete all uh all the all the modes you get a wizard mode um, so it's like, do I want to get the, po the highest possible score or do I want to get to the wizard mode? Do I want to play through the story of the game, right? Um, and so in a tournament, you're obviously shooting for high scores. So you want to know what the high score strat is. When I'm playing by myself, I like to experience the world under glass. So I like to tell the story of the game. I like to go through it and, you know, figure out what the plot is. So as you complete modes, um, you get further and further into this, and then most games have it, have an incentive for you to complete modes beyond just, here's 10 modes, complete them. So if you get through five of the modes, you get what's called a mini wizard mode, which is just, uh, and wizard modes work basically like this. So they put, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute on the clock, and they shoot like six balls at you. And during that entire time, you just flip. Um, you don't have to worry about draining the ball, you have 60 seconds to just score as many points as possible. You have six balls flying around. So every time one of those balls hits a shot, you're scoring points and all this stuff. So, um, you know, wizard modes are rewards for doing well at the game. Um, and so they usually build in a couple different wizard modes along the way so that you want to get to the final wizard mode. Um, so for example, on Guardians of the Galaxy, if you do half the modes, you get something called Cherry Bomb Multiball. So uh, you get Cherry Bomb Multiball, Cherry Bomb by Joan Jet uh, or yep. by the Runaways plays. Yep. And it's uh, six balls fly out of Groot's mouth and straight down the, the middle to you. And it's frantic and it's hectic, but it's really safe too, because it's just a timed mode. You don't have to yep. worry if all six balls go down, they're coming right back as long as there's time on the clock. So it is point salad um, basically. So it's really satisfying to get to Cherry Bomb Multiball and it makes you want to get to the other five modes uh, to get to, I think it's called Save Xandar, which is obviously the final scene of the movie. And now that they have the LCD screen, they can put clips from the movie on the LCD screen while all this is happening. Oh, that's so, so cool. you get these really cool light shows and lighting effects um, and all that. So that's kind of the, 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 what you do to progress through a pinball machine. But then if you're in a tournament, the tournament strategy might be way different than the mode strategy. You might want to go for the hardest modes first because they're worth the most points and you're trying to get the most points against your opponent. So uh, yeah. it just kind of depends on what your play style is, which is cool because it kind of opens the game up to, to where any style you want to play is completely valid no matter what. Wow. Well, <laughs> There's so much to it. And uh, again, I'm loving this. I'm loving these conversations. It's, I feel like I'm learning so much. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. So um, oh, it's cool. 
so to, to bring it back to the Guns N' Roses one, oh, please um, it's, uh, it's based on songs. So it's based on the Not In This Lifetime tour, which is the one that they've been on for the last three, four years. But Slash uh, came to Jersey Jack. So there was a Guns N' Roses pinball machine in the late 80s that's still kind of a tournament staple. People really like the game. It's really fun. It's really fun to shoot. Most versions of it that you can find out in public are pretty well taken care of. It shoots really fun. It shoots really fast. So when the rumors were happening that Jersey Jack was going to do a Guns N' Roses, everyone was kind of like, we already have a Guns N' Roses. Like, why don't you do something new? And then people found out Slash co-designed the game with Jersey Jack. And everyone was like, okay, well, if Slash wants you to do something, you kind of got to do it. Uh, absolutely (laughs) and so because of this though because someone involved with the ip approached them about doing it they were given unprecedented access to the ip so they were like hey slash do you think we can get some concert footage to use and he was like yeah here's 18 shows that we filmed and each show is three hours long take any footage you need uh to go into the machine oh that's and They were like, uh, okay. And so then he, they were like, uh, hey, hey, Slash, um, can we get some of the tour poster artwork? And he was like, yeah, here's the archive of all our tour posters for every date and every gig we've ever done. Uh, oh, wow. Go ahead, go ahead and take whichever ones you need. And so for, because of that, the art package on the, on the premium model of it is all tour posters. So it's on the sides, it's all the Guns N' Roses tour posters. So then they were like, hey, Slash, uh, we want to do the the Appetite for Destruction on the LE. Like, we want to put that artwork on there. And he was like, okay, well, I don't know if it's going to work as is dimensionally on, you know, the, the, the dimensions of the artwork. I don't know how well it's going to work on the back box. Let me get you in touch with the artist who did that. And so the artist who did the Appetite for Destruction artwork updated the artwork to fit onto the, 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 the box of the pinball machine. Nice. Yeah. Um, so... so this this machine has and so then slash was like uh i think i'm gonna i would like to get our gear into the into the pinball machine <laughs> and they were like what do you mean he was like let me reach out to gibson and fender and vader and uh see if i can get the licensing right so one of the the locking mechanism to get to multiball is actually the the headstock of slash's guitar oh that's so cool yeah and then the right ramp is for i don't know their drummer's name but the right ramp is the drummer, and instead of a normal, like, I think it's Matt metal... Sorum on drums still these days. I'm not sure it could be different now, but yeah, go on. Yeah, so the, the instead of metal, it's a pair of his signature drumsticks. Oh, man. And so it goes up this ramp and then comes back down to the flipper on this pair of drumsticks. It's so cool. Oh. It's super cool. Look it up. There's, there's a 25 minute, there's a 25 minute video breakdown of the machine from uh, YouTube. I think it's uh, Straight Down the Middle is the name of the, the, youtube channel um, well, i will i will find that later and i will absolutely uh link that into the show notes i'm just gonna look up gnr's pinball machine just to see an image yeah um it's gotta be on there somewhere uh it's four days ago this is the most recent one. Oh yeah. my goodness me I'll send you a, a, I actually, I don't know if you feel like editing around this, but I want to watch you watch this minute and a half um, teaser oh, video they did y- for You us. can totally send me that. Um, yeah, why not? We'll, we'll, we'll go into live reaction on, on the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Future Harley here. 
Um, apologies, I've decided to strip this bit out of the podcast, uh, mostly because I was deafened by the video that I was sent. Uh, it was my fault, I hadn't adjusted the volume accordingly um, from recording to YouTube. So when I saw the video, I didn't really say a lot for a while because I was just overwhelmed by the soundtrack and the advert. It's incredibly loud in every sense of the word, um, but it is fantastic. So I've linked it in the show notes of this episode. Definitely go and check it out. It's one of the coolest looking things I have ever seen, and I cannot overstate that enough. So anyway, enough from me. Back to the episode. All I want to say is, where can I buy one? Because yeah, right. This looks so cool. Yeah, it's so it's so neat, man. And then on that one, they put they put moving spotlights. I don't know if you even yeah. saw that happening. They put moving spotlights up near the the top of the play field, which is unheard of. So my background is in concert production, and uh-huh. I was watching them break this down, and I was like, this game's way more about producing a concert than it is about uh, Guns and Roses, because <laughs> you got to go. The yeah. plot of the game is that you got to you got to get all their gear and then you got to go do a show with it. Um, so you go mm. and you shoot, there's, there's one shot on the play field is associated with each member of the band. Um, and yeah. so you have to shoot all those shots at least one time and then it lights a song and there's 21 songs in the game. And the wow. thing this machine has over any other music themed pinball machine is once again, Slash gave them unprecedented access. Mm. So it's not just a minute and a half loop of the song. It is the whole song. So That's if you awesome. go and start November Rain, you're playing nine and a half minutes of November Rain. <laughs> um, and it syncs oh. to concert footage of them doing it on the Not In This Lifetime tour. That is so cool. Do you know, I'm going to link in this video as well um, for the listeners. I'm just, as you're talking now, I've got, I'm just sort of going through it again, but on silent um, and just kind of pausing on certain images just so I can get a better look at this thing. And Wow. I mean, like you say, you've got the top hat, the drumsticks, Fender, Gibson headstocks. Mm-hmm. I noticed as well, you mentioned the artwork. It looked like they redesigned not only the, you know, the, the famous kind of skull cross uh, design mm-hmm. at the side, but also the original at the side. I noticed some of the, the weird robot and monster designs that they featured in a yeah. cartoon and stuff like that. Like, that's incredible. There's some real awesome looking Easter eggs that they've thrown in there. I mean, fair yeah, play. I'm guessing that that's going to be quite a pricey machine um, if you're going to buy it. <laughs> yeah, so actually the standard edition is weirdly Jersey Jack's cheapest standard edition yet. So it's still 6500 American dollars, uh, but it's their, before their standard machine was about eight grand. So, um, but the limited edition, which sold out like this, was going for 12, 12, 12.5 grand. So yeah, 12,500 USD. Wow, um, which is that's really expensive for a limited edition. But um, but still, I mean, am I right in thinking that these things do kind of hold their value? Oh, they hold their value incredibly well. A machine, so like Theater of Magic, right? That I talked right. about at the beginning of the show. Theater of Magic came out in ninety, I don't know, three ninety four. That game is still worth probably four or five grand. That's pretty good going. I, mean, I imagine yes. something like this with the limited run and the insane amount of features that i just saw <laughs> yeah i'm guessing again that's gonna hold its value um for quite some time especially with having design impetus from slash himself 
Yeah, and and in the in the video from Street on the Middle, um, they talked with the the head designer of the game, and he said that Slash was involved beyond just giving them opening the archives. Like he wanted daily updates while they were on tour. Like he would Skype with the designer every day, and he'd be like, "Where are you today?" And Slash was like, "Oh, we're in New Zealand. We're in Austria. We're you know we're traveling the world." But you know, this is my this. I'm working on this with you. I am a, a designer of this game, and I want to make sure it's as good as possible. And yeah, I guess. They wanted to do the, they wanted to put the GNR because um, they were like, what songs do you want on the game? And he was like this, you know, and gave them all the, all the songs. And they wanted to, put, he wanted Live and Let Die in there. And they were like, Slash, we're having a problem getting the rights from McCartney's record label. Like they're not letting us have them. And Slash was like, all right, hang on a minute. And he called him back 10 minutes later. And he was like, oh, I called Paul. It's fine. He said we can use it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, of course. Of course he rang Paul. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. I loved it because I was like, Slash, like you look at Slash and you're like, that's the coolest guy ever, right? Yeah. Like Slash just seems like the coolest guy ever. But mm -hmm. I love that he is like a world famous rock star. And this is how he chooses to use his fame is to like yeah. leverage his friends to let him use their songs in pinball machines <laughs> and like Why approach not? companies. And I was like, that's the kind of rock star I would be like yeah uh, i would i would i would do that i would just like be like hey design me a pinball machine hey i would like i would like to go uh he, he's into he's super into dinosaurs mm. and uh this is kind of off topic but no, go he, he he goes to museums all the time i was he was on a podcast i was listening to and he was like you know now that we're all clean and adults right like we're, we're not partying all the time he said that what he likes to do to clear his head before a show is just go to muse natural history museums wherever he's at and like look at fossils Good to know. So if I ever see Slash on tour again, which I've already seen him a couple of times, if I see him again, I'll be uh, scouting around the local museums before. Yeah. <laughs> In the vain hopes I bump into him. <laughs> That's so cool, though. I mean, I, again, I, I guess that speaks to the sort of, well, coming back to what we were saying at the start, really, the, the intricacies, the design, the, the fact that there's obviously so much going on with these machines and there's so many different options. Um, from what you can do as you say with that sort of world under glass mm -hmm. there's, there's so many options and it's really cool to see that there's other people getting involved in throwing in stuff like that yeah, yeah my, my uh, mind is blown honestly just by uh, looking at that video ed uh you know ed robinson from bare naked ladies uh vaguely yeah okay he's a huge pinball nerd and he actually he he has a he, he has a huge private collection um awesome and he is there's uh uh the closest thing that pinball has to a franchise is this franchise called Black Knight. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was all three games, I think, were designed by this guy named Steve Ritchie. But they did Black Knight um, in the 80s, and it was the first machine to have a multi-level play field. So um, if you play the first Black Knight, half the machine is, you know, normal pinball level, and then the other half is elevated. And so you can switch, you can shoot the ball up to the, the, the upper play field. And so it was the first, it was the first machine to have that. So um and that was kind of the staple of the black knight games and then black knight 2000 came out in i want to say the late 90s and it was kind of a futuristic take on the black knight and then uh, last year they came out with a, a, the final in the black knight trilogy called black knight sword of rage um and scott ian from anthrax did yep. the soundtrack to it awesome. and uh edward robinson uh from bare naked ladies is the voice of one of the black knight's minions 
in the game. So you see all these, uh, it's big. It's, I, I don't know why it's caught on. I know we talked about like the design stuff, but mm. a lot of musicians and their writers will like make, um, they'll make the venues rent pinball machines from the local arcade rental places to have backstage so that they just have something to do while they're killing time mm. waiting for the show to start. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. Yeah, that, you're right. It definitely is a massive crossover, and it probably is for the reasons that you discussed earlier. But but still, yeah, that's that is awesome. I love this. I love all of this stuff. This is the kind of thing I like. I love the kind of worlds where you can just get really intricate with details, and it seems like every machine then is, is so unique and different. It, it seems like this kind of hobby that it won't let you down in terms of design and variety mm-hmm. I mean, am i right in thinking that you can walk into like a big room full of machines and every single one will be completely different yeah for the most part i mean and it's just it's funny because there's some stuff that's so gimmicky and dumb but you kind of love it anyway like because everything's trying to innovate so there's a tommy machine right of course there's a tommy machine there's got to be a tommy machine but when you get to tommy's mode this fan comes up from the bottom of the playfield and covers up the flippers so you're literally flipping blind um yeah it's weird it's a weird it's a weird experience because you you're like this makes complete thematic sense but you're also like i hate this because (laughs) i don't know where the ball is on the flipper i'm so i'm so in danger of draining it every time it comes back down to the flipper you're just like ah i hope i i hope i know where it is wow that's awesome um just to kind of take it back a little bit then i wonder if you can educate me a bit on the history because again i I know nothing about this. How did this all start? When did sort of the first one kind of get invented, I guess? Um, so it's kind of got origins in um, like Japanese pachinko machines. All right. right? And so um, <clears throat> is it called Bagaball? Baffleball. Um, Sorry, I've just thrown... I've- I've just thrown you in a deep end with that question. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. So it was it, the the main origin was pachinko machines, and then the closest thing to where it gets its name, pinball, is that it was this sort of it's called baffle ball, and so it's this spring, you it's the spring loaded launcher like you have in a pinball machine, and then instead it's got no flippers, but it's got all these pins sticking up from the playfield, and it sort of bounces off the pins into holes that give you a score. Right. Um, and so that started in Europe. I got the Wikipedia pointed up yeah, right cool. now. And then in 1931, <laughs> coin operation got introduced to it. Um, and so you would pay money to play the game now. This was a problem because it was gambling at this point because it wasn't skill based. Right. And so, uh, in 1947, you get flippers, which makes it skill based. Uh, but it had already gotten sort of, um, in America, it had gotten a bad reputation as being associated with prohibition speakeasies and Ah. underground gambling. So pinball was actually illegal in San Francisco until the 70s. It was illegal in most parts of the country until the 70s um, because it was considered gambling. And so there's this famous story of uh, this guy named Roger Sharp, and he's still big in pinball. Roger Sharp and his two sons now are really big, Zach Sharp and Josh Sharp. They're big competitive players. Roger Sharp is known as the man who saved pinball because he went to uh, a court case, went before the 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 circuit uh, the the circuit court of 
San Francisco where this group was saying pinball is illegal, pinball's gambling, pinball is not based on skill. And Roger Sharp said, I will bring a pinball machine into the courtroom and I will prove to you that this is a skill-based game. And so they brought a pinball machine into this courtroom in San Francisco. And basically what happened is Roger Sharp, so when you first launch the ball, there's something called a skill shot. And so if you're able to do the skill, if you're able to shoot the ball gingerly enough or hard enough or with just the right amount of force, you'll get bonus points for completing the skill shot. So Roger Sharp says, I'm going to do this skill shot. It's going to come down to this flipper after the skill shot, and I'm going to shoot it into this hole. And so he does it, nails the skill shot, bounces out of the skill shot hole, lands right on the flipper. And then he shoots immediately into the hole he said he was going to shoot it in. And the judge right then and there was like, you've just proven to me that this is a game. This is obviously a game of skill. Like you called your shot and then executed it perfectly. That's and incredible. From that point forward, uh, 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 pinball was made legal in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that story. That's in- Oh, man, that, that feels like something out of a movie, doesn't it? Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, there's this insane. excellent uh, there's this excellent podcast called Historium. Shout out to Jake. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a whole podcast episode on that story. Um, I'll link that in as well. That's, oh, wow, that's incredible, man. Yeah, so it's such a good cool. story. And, like, Roger Sharp is just, he's the coolest. He's so cool. I've never met him, but he just seems like the coolest guy. I'm kind of imagining a guy literally just rocking up that even just uh not even in a suit in court you know just like in a leather jacket and jeans and like, <laughs> watch this but doesn't even look just hits it and is like yeah point proven <laughs> yeah yeah well and so then it, it still got kind of associated with kind of punks and stuff like that like the who obviously was considered like a rebellious band and they did songs about pinball right and so it had this weird like kind of bad boy reputation which is hilarious because if you go up to a pinball machine it's like the goofiest thing <laughs> and uh especially like the themes that were back then they were just like tennis or pool or bowling like they were all sports themed or you know there's a couple poker machines but it's nothing you know uh it's nothing salacious by any stretch of the imagination no i mean from what you've described and what we've been talking about this whole time it, it sounds like something that's very intricate and intelligent and like you say there's engineering and architecture mm-hmm. and and you know and all this sort of stuff and I, I can't imagine this having any kind of association with rebellion or you know i don't know anything dangerous it just that's that is quite laughable i guess it's probably just ignorance isn't it in, in the early days and if it has those links to you know prohibition like you say and all that illegal stuff maybe it's it sounds like a bit of a stigma that it had to overcome then yeah, definitely. And I think most people, you know, in the modern age, no one cares about pinball, right? Like, if you see, if you see pinball somewhere, and you see someone playing it, your automatic assumption is like, that guy's kind of a nerd. Like, you know, especially if you see if you see someone doing well at it, you're like, all right, this guy needs a hobby. I mean, I guess this is technically his hobby, but come on. Oh. Um, so it, yeah, the first tournament I played in, this is a great story. The first tournament I played in was in the back of this this Korean barbecue restaurant. And so people are walking in and out, right? And um, the tournament was actually, it wasn't a launch party, but there's a there's a, a pinball streamer on Twitch named Jack Danger, um, who runs Deadflip. Um, they're probably the best resource for watching pinball playing. So Deadflip on YouTube, Deadflip on Twitch. Um, he does a lot of the game reveals. He does a lot of um, high level strategy stuff. Uh, so 
he was in California. He's based in Chicago. He was in California and did a tournament. And I was like, oh, I got to go. I got to go play in the tournament that Jack's putting on. Like, I watch him all the time. And it just so happened that I had to be in L.A. to drop my wife off at the airport to go visit her family. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'm going as soon as I drop her off. I'm going to go play. And so I went and played and I was practicing all day until Jack got there and set up the tournament. But it's not a big room back there. And so people were going in and out to get air because it got really stuffy in there. And finally, one guy, he's at this Korean barbecue place, right? And um, he's sitting at his table and he finally gets curious enough because they're seated directly across from the bar. And he sees all these people coming in and out and he sees all this activity. He sees cameras set up. He sees these lights going on. And he finally, you could tell he just had had enough. Like he wasn't annoyed by it, but he was like, I have to know what is happening in this room. And so he gets up and he, I come out, I push the door open. He grabs the door for me. He looks in. And then he closes the door and he walks back and he goes, there's some kind of pinball fight club in there. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Actually, um, when you first mentioned the Korean barbecue place and this sort of back room, that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, this sounds like fight club or it sounds like some sort of, you know, illegal like machong kind of thing going on. And it's like... (laughs) A secret knock on the door and, you know, password, you know, that kind of thing. That happened to me here, actually. I got the guy who did uh, my tattoo, who I used to play at his his tattoo shop. Mm. He hit me up on Instagram day of a tournament. He was like, hey, there's a tournament happening tonight. It's here. It's invite only. And I was like, what is happening? And he (laughs) sent me the screenshot of the invite. And I was like, what kind of eyes wide shut, like weird (laughs) pinball thing? what is going on so it had the name of a business on it so i looked up the name of the business and i saw like all the machines i had he had and i was like what the hell like this is in this is in my town if if this was a business in my town how did i how am i just now finding out about it from this weird invite that i have to text the guy and so i text the guy and i was like hey you know so and so gave me your info about the pinball thing and he was like oh yeah drop on by you know it's byob bring whatever you want to drink uh we'll have pizza um you know it's this much to to cover the cost of the pizza and i was like okay so i plug it into my google maps and i start driving and i'm driving and i'm driving and i'm passing all these businesses i'm like i kind of know the vague area of town this is in it's not an unfamiliar area of town and I'm looking at all these businesses and I was like, okay, I don't see anything that would suggest that this is where it would be. And then it takes me into a neighborhood. And I was like, there's just a random business in this neighborhood. And then it tells me I've arrived. And I was like, that's a house. That's straight up a house. And so I double checked the address against my invite and against Google Maps and it's the right address. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do I just go knock on a stranger's door? <laughs> so I was like, I guess so. It's the right address. So I walk in and I knock on this door and a, ch- a literal child answers <laughs> with a pool stick in his hand. Right. Okay. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and so I look and this dude's living room has this full-size pool table, slot machines, and a Zippo lighter display. Whoa. I was like, what is going on? And so I walk in, I've got my beer. So I answered, a child answers the door and I'm just holding a case of beer. And I was like, cool, this is a sting. (laughs) And so 
I walk in and not a single person I recognize is standing in this house. So now I'm standing wow. here with a bunch of people I've never seen before in right. someone's house holding beer. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> I'm MJ. And he was like, oh, you're so-and-so's friend. And I was like, yes. And he was like, okay, let me show you where to put the booze. So he shows me like the, the fridge. And then he's like, now let me take you to what you want to see. He takes me to his garage, which he has converted into basically a separate house. It's this massive garage. And it looks full on like an arcade in there, man. It looks straight up. Like, I, it, it looks like I walked into an 80s arcade and there's just full of pinball machines. He, had, he must have had 20 pinball machines back there. And it was just all carpeted, all neon lights, um, pinball machines in the best condition I've ever seen them. And he just runs this arcade business out the back of his garage. Um, and he's like, yeah, uh, we're going to have a tournament on here. And at the end of the night, whoever wins gets to take the game home with them. And I was like, they get to do what? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. He was like, yeah, they get to take the game home with them. And then we're going to have a skee-ball tournament. And he just like had a full-on skee-ball machine in his backyard. Of he was like, we're going to have a skee-ball tournament. And whoever does that gets $100 off at my business. And uh, I was like, all right, man, like, what is this pinball? That was Pinball Fight Club. That, that, wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's probably one of the craziest stories. It was I weird, love man. That. I love that. Just, weird. just what you were saying about, like, the kid opening the door and stuff, I was like, oh, no, is he going to walk in and there's going to be that, what's that guy from The Catch a Predator or something? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, right? That could have gone was... south very quickly. But no, I, I love that there's just this secret underground pinball clubs just knocking around. That's, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was neat. And I was just like, what is what is happening? And he had, story. yeah, he had some rare machines too. He had a Rob Zombie machine, which they didn't make a lot of the, the Rob Zombie machines. So Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah he, he strikes me as a guy that would probably be into into pinball as well for some reason. Yeah, yeah. If, if you play the guitar, basically, sorry, I feel like now I need to go and and, and have a crack on one. <laughs> yeah, knows. we need the we need the fundamentals uh, pinball machine. Oh, oh, that would be uh, interesting. I need to work on the logo a bit more if I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I love that. That's really cool. Wow. So there's there's just this whole other community then to it, and it seems. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, Twitch and it's super cool because you'll recognize people from chat if you go to a tournament and stuff and you're like, oh yeah, was, you know, I came out to see Jack or, you know, whatever. And um, everyone's really chill and nice and cool and helpful. Um, every tournament I've been to, and this probably doesn't um, happen uh, at the highest levels, but the launch party tournaments, they're not really there to get you a ranking in the internet, in the, you know, in the nationals or the finals or whatever so everyone's really helpful like if you're unfamiliar with a game you go oh okay well so you want to do this shot and then you want to get this mode started and you want to build it with that and so it's just really like helpful and, and nice and you know people are, are always like and you're, you're always discussing strategy between balls or it's like i've never had anyone be a sore loser i've never you know had anyone uh you know it, it feels really communal and and supportive in the way of like everyone says good ball after, you know, like, um, there was one time I was playing and I got matched up with the number four player in the world. And he's been, at, he's been at all these machines. He's been at all these tournaments that I've been to and he's always, you know, finishes top three, but he was having an off day. Everyone was beating him. He just was not on it. And, you know, it was a couple months after he had played in the national finals and, 
you know, everyone felt bad because we had all just watched him on Twitch go up against like the top players in the world because he's one of them. And in the game that I played with him, you know, Attack from Mars, which is a staple tournament game that every tournament player knows inside and out, he completely like just, you know, fumbled it. it. Yeah, Yeah, he botched it. And two, me and one other person who it was her first tournament, we both scored over 3 billion points on the game. Like we both just blew the game up. And he had under a billion, which is considered a really low score for that game because it's got a high scoring ratio. Um, And you know ever we were just like ah sorry man he was like oh it's cool you know good balls good job guys you know and like if you think of a high-ranking player like that you would consider them pretty competitive but he was like you know sometimes you have a bad day you know it's and that's what i like about the tournaments that i play in is they're mainly just for fun and so like go out have a couple beers eat some korean barbecue and try out the new game like that's why you're there because it's, it's a launch party for whatever new game is out and so you're there mainly to play the new game you don't Everything else is just gravy. Like any day you get to play pinball is a good day, basically, is the, the vibe of that tournament. I really like that. I will just say this, MJ. I mean, again, you've, you've given me so much there, and that's incredible. And I had no idea there was so much going on. And it's nice to hear as well that the community itself, for the most part, seems very supportive and encouraging. And that's something that I'm looking to explore more in this, this podcast anyway, is to kind of open up the world a bit more. So if anyone's listening and like me perhaps never had a go on pinball machines like me personally right now i really want to try one so the next time i I get the opportunity i'm definitely having a crack at one and i'll let you know how i get on but um so there's a couple resources that you can play digitally um so there's uh there's pinball arcade it's called stern pinball arcade and they have um it's on every major console it's on you know switch xbox uh playstation and pc and then there's something else called Pinball FX3. And um, those are the two big names in digital pinball. Uh, I play a lot of digital pinball. Pinball machines are expensive. I live in a small apartment in California. I do not have the room or the funds for one. So um, Pinball FX3, they do a mix of both original games, which is cool because they're digital only. So you're not going to be able to walk up and find a physical version of some of the machines that they have. But the digital nature of it allows them to do some stuff that would be literally impossible in a, a, a physical machine. So like it takes you to like, if you shoot, you know, if you get a certain mode going and you you shoot uh, a certain hole, it'll take you to a completely different looking, you know, table. And you have to play like a mini version of pinball on that table. And then once you drain, it takes you back out to the main table. That obviously can't happen um, in a physical machine. But Pinball FX3 also has um the rights to a lot of the bally williams games which are the ones that were really popular in the 80s and 90s so um you can get theater of magic you can buy a digital version of theater of magic on pinball fx3 um and you can get uh monster bash is one of the all-time greats which is uh universal it's the universal monsters theme um and so you're trying to get them all to be in a band uh with you um and then Stern Pinball is just Stern games. So um, they have like the ACDC game, which is great. Uh, Steve Ritchie, who I've mentioned, uh, he that he designed that game. It has the Star Trek game based on the J.J. Abrams movies. Also super fun. Also a Steve Ritchie design. Um, and it has, uh, it, there's like 10 machines, I think, in that one now. Um, so Stern Pinball Arcade and then Pinball FX3 
Um, and to tie it back into my other project, there is a JAWS pinball machine in uh, Pinball FX3 that is exclusive to Pinball FX3. Amazing. So you've got some great places for people to go if they want to know more. And um, speaking of, just to kind of wrap this up, um, where can people find you, MJ? You've mentioned JAWS, so I think it's appropriate to plug yeah, your show, uh, which I'm very much enjoying at the moment. So I co-host a, a couple podcasts myself, um, the most recent one being Let's Jaws for a Minute, which I co-host with uh, the amazing Sarah Buttery from Jump Cut. And uh, we're going through our favorite movie of all time, Jaws, uh, minute by minute or thereabouts. Um, so kind of scene by scene breakdowns of, uh, of the movie. And it has been so rewarding as both a podcaster and as a fan of the movie I, this is a movie that i've seen dozens of times and i'm finding new stuff just watching it this slowly and through really good headphones and it's it's been great um and then i host a podcast called real perspective that's r-e-e-l perspective it's another film-based podcast that's my main passion is movies but i chose pinball for this because it's rare that i get to talk about it plus i think it's more off the beaten path there are tons of people into movies yeah. i feel like pinball isn't something that gets brought to the masses that is a whole true lot. That's very um, true. So, real perspective. You can find me on Twitter at mjsmith891. All, all one handle. Uh, I'm on Instagram at mjsmith891. That's mostly pictures of pinball machines and my cats. Um, and uh, yeah, if you ever want to play digital pinball, let me know. It's digital pinball is the way to go right now. If you know your area is shut down, it's been really good for me. Um, you know, not having the the ability to go out and just play. Um, yeah, let me know. We'll we'll do a you know they they have weekly tournaments on Pinball FX3, um, or we can just compare scores. You can start an account through Pinball FX3 and, and compare scores with people. So, uh, yeah, it'd be great to like to like play with people uh, through this. Awesome, thank you, man. And I will put links to all of that below. Thanks for coming. Okay, on. cool. Thanks, man. And there we have it, another episode down. Thank you so much to MJ for coming on to the podcast and educating me on the history of pinball machines and indeed sharing some hilarious stories of your own mj that was an absolute pleasure i really hope you guys enjoyed that podcast too if you want to hear more of mj's voice which of course why wouldn't you you can find all the links in the description below to the let's jewels for a minute podcast and the real perspective podcast both of which i am subscribed to and i highly recommend you do the same i've also linked into mj's socials and my own socials and the podcast socials there's just there's so many links down there guys go and check it out um, but top of the list as you'll probably notice is the link to the guns and roses video which i did promise i'd put in and i have so go check it out it's like a two minute advert and it's incredible you will not be disappointed again i cannot overstate that if you are really enjoying this podcast then please let me know you can find me on the social medias both instagram and twitter are at fundamentals pod i promise not to spam you if you follow me i don't do probably as much as i should but i'm gonna try and get better at that uh, but one thing i can guarantee is if you send me a like a friendly emoji of some description a gif i love gifts anything like that i will respond in kind i promise you also if you'd like to leave a review on the podcast i believe apple Podcasts has that ability that would make my day i have so far had one five star review and i don't know who that is still if you're out there and you're listening please tell me i want to thank you again anyone who does anything for me will get mentioned on this podcast because of course you should well that's about it for me i really hope you guys enjoyed this 
I'll be back again in a couple of weeks' time with a completely different guest on a completely different subject. So until then, stay tuned and stay safe.